0: Hello and welcome to episode number 503 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and my guest today is Jane Bueller, author of The Forest Bride. I have several favorite parts of this conversation, including our discussion of cozy fantasy, addressing and undoing misconceptions about sex in romance, and sourdough starters in bread making. So basically, this episode is about fantasy, writing, sex, and bread, which sounds like several of my favorite topics. I will have links to all of the books we talk about in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And I have a compliment for this episode, which is among my favorite things, to Meg E. If someone says that is incredible, they are so talented, there is a 97.6% chance that they are talking about you. If you would like a compliment of your very own, please have a look at our Patreon at patreon.com smartbitches. Pledges start at one whole dollar a month, and every pledge helps me keep the show going and make sure that every episode has a transcript. Thank you, Garlic Knitter, for the transcript, and thank you to our Patreon community for being fabulous. This episode is brought to you by Kensington Books, publisher of the new anthology, Afraid, featuring stories by Lisa Jackson, Alexandra Ivey, and Lisa Childs. All three authors are powerhouse writers of suspense, and all three novellas are brand new. And heads up, Dark Academia fans, the stories are all set at the extremely elite St. Cecilia's School for Girls in Salzburg, Austria. For three former students, evil is about to resurface. Each story features a different American student from the school, their history tied together, by their former boarding school populated by the daughters of the rich and famous. It's a place where scandals are buried and secrets are hidden. Lucy, Rain, and Aaron will each face dangers past and present with a thread of romance for each one in Afraid by Lisa Jackson, Alexandra Ivy, and Lisa Childs. Available now wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. This episode is brought to you in part by Prose. One of the ways I've taken more gentle care of myself in the past few years has been caring for my hair. And you may have heard me talking about Prose, the world's most personalized hair care. First, There is a quiz, an in-depth hair quiz, and you know I love a quiz. Prose has given over 1 million consultations and my results created a custom blend that has made my hair softer and this weird amount of curls more defined. And because I get to choose my own scent, it smells incredible and I love using it. All of their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered, and cruelty-free. And if you're not 100% positive that Prose is the best hair care you've ever had, they will take the products back, no questions asked. Prose is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash trashybooks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash trashybooks for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. This episode is brought to you in part by my favorite shoes, Rothy's. I am not usually a person who becomes obsessed with things. Information, sure. Researching obscure things, internet rabbit holes, absolutely. Shows and movies, not so much. But Rothy's are definitely a shoe obsession with me. Rothy's give you right out of the box comfort. They come in amazing styles and color combinations and you can wash them. I know you've heard me talk about that part. I own one of nearly every style they make. The Point, I might actually own four pair of those. The Loafer, the moccasin and the lace-up sneaker. I love all of them for travel and they're stylish and comfortable when walking. Plus, this is key, they stretch because they're woven with a thread made out of recycled water bottles. And when they get dirty, I toss them in the washing machine and they come out looking like new. I love these shoes a lot. Step up your shoes and accessories this spring and get ready to be asked, are those Rothy's? Yes, that has totally happened to me. Plus you get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash Sarah. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Sarah. This episode is brought to you in part by Lumino. Science time, here is something I didn't know. 98% of the oral bacteria in your mouth are good for you. They're actually essential for your oral health. It turns out the fact that all bacteria is bad is just a myth and Lumino is busting this myth wide open. Lumino makes toothpaste, mouthwash, and whitening products that are totally new and a different approach for improving your oral health. They use purposeful and uncompromising ingredients like sea salt, aloe, and coconut oils to clean and brighten your smile. Plus everything they make is certified non-toxic. I really like the toothpaste because it leaves my mouth feeling extremely clean and I look forward to using it and I never get those weird sores on the inside of my lip either, I hate those. Everything is dentist-formulated, backed by over 50 studies, and proven to protect the good bacteria, also known as the microbiome. Find Lumino on Amazon.com and get $7 off today. That's L-U-M-I-N-E-U-X. Remember, it's spelled with an X, so you can X out the harm. Lumino, dedicated to illuminating better ideas in oral care. This podcast episode is brought to you in part by Pretty Litter. Having a cat is wonderful. The purring, the pets, the thing where they flop over and commence relaxation. The cat litter box, not my favorite part, especially because most cat litters can make a giant, dusty mess. My cat and I deserve a litter that works for us, not against us. That's why I use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's crystal formula is lightweight, ultra absorbent and long lasting, and it is virtually dust free and minimizes mess. Here's the smartest part about Pretty Litter though. The crystals change color to help detect early signs of potential illness in my cat, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And I learned this week that Elise uses Pretty Litter for her four cats. Pretty Litter works for me trapping odors, not clumping, and gives me peace of mind. That's why I love it. You and your cat will love it too. Go to prettylitter.com and use code TRASHY to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com, code TRASHY to save 20%. prettylitter.com, code TRASHY. This episode is brought to you in part by Jenny Kane Home. Creating a warm, cozy, welcoming home is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself. Jenny Kane Home has everything you need for every room, every style, and every sensibility. From furniture to accessories like candles, pillows, and soft throws, there is something for everyone seeking to make a room feel complete. Finding the perfect chair, for example, can be a challenge. You want it to be stylish but comfortable, to fit in the room and fit into your reading plans. The Brentwood Boucle Chair in Ivory or natural is perfect for the bedroom, the living room, the den, or wherever you need effortless style and comfortable reading. Jenny Kane Home creates California-inspired classics for any room or mood. Grounded in natural textures and inviting neutrals, these are the pieces you will love coming home to. Create the space you'll never want to leave at JennyKane.com. Get 15% off your first order when you use code SPTB at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code SPTB. All right. Are you ready for this conversation? We're going to talk about sex and bread and fantasy and writing. And I really enjoyed this and I hope you do too. On with the podcast.
1: I am Emily Jane Bueller, and I'm currently focused on writing cozy fantasy romance as Jane Bueller. And my second book, uh, The Village Maid, will be out this spring. Congratulations. That's
0: awesome. I have so many questions. I want to start with the village maid. Congratulations! It's Thank it's a you. it's a big deal to release a book. I hope that I hope that you're sort of giving yourself a lot of virtual pats on the back and literal pats on the back there.
1: When I remember to, um, <laughs> there's always so much to you know so much other stuff going on like the day to day work and such. So um, yeah, it's good to take time and and notice it and. proud of it. So
0: I I struggle with that too. I have to remind myself to turn around and be like, look what you did. See the thing you did? That's pretty cool. So what will readers find inside The Village Maid?
1: So The Village Maid is a super lighthearted, friends-to-lovers romance. It is set in a fantasy world um, with just a little bit of magic. And it follows a misguided heroine named Aviana. She Used to be a castle courtier, and then there, the peasants had an uprising and overthrew the monarchy. And now she is a laundry maid, and she's not very happy about it. She's kind of just bitter about it and really doesn't like her life very much. So she thinks that her only way to get out of her situation is to find a, a man to marry to take care of her. And she has a friend named Thorne. He's a fairy, and he runs the print shop in the village. She really likes hanging out with him. But she always overlooks him and she starts to be attracted to him, but she's so convinced that he's not her type and he's not what she's looking for that she convinces herself that he has used a fairy love spell on her and that must be why she's attracted to him. So that's kind of the setup. And then pirates attack and she and Thorne have to escape together. And it goes from there. Um, It's super low angst. There's very little violence in it. And I kind of think of it as like a beach read that just happens to be set in a fantasy world.
0: One of the things I really liked about Thorne is that he is very consistent in his gentleness. You wrote a very gentle hero, which is one of my favorite flavors. Is that one of yours as well?
1: I think so. I mean, I do read a wide range of romance novels and I can be okay with the alpha hero too, but I just, I think would prefer the beta hero, and that's probably always going to be what I'm writing. I think I kind of recognize that in real life, that an alpha hero would just super annoy me. So... (laughs) Makes it hard to write one and feel authentic
0: about it. Now <laughs> I'm just imagining like a like a real life sitcom with an alpha hero where the where the protagonist pair, the other person is always just like, "Oh my God, you're so exhausting. Could you just calm down?
1: <laughs> yeah That would actually probably be a pretty funny sitcom.
0: yeah, I would I would watch that, and I don't watch a lot of television.
1: <laughs> with
0: Thorn, one of the things that he does is that he teaches her how to read. He runs a printing press. And one of the things I really like is that you've sort of folded in, to use a bread metaphor, you've laminated in a lot of very subtle ways of discussing caretaking. You know, she wants a dude who will be able to just take care of things for her because she went from a position of having some power to a position of having no power and no money. And she's really stuck. Thorn very subtly introduces a lot of different ways of caretaking, and one of them is teaching her how to read. What were some of the challenges in creating these characters for you? Did you have a particular moment that was your favorite for each of them?
1: I think for Aviana, I had kind of given myself the challenge of writing a character who was different than me. I had drafted three or four novels at the time I wrote this, and I kind of recognized that all my protagonists were just different versions of me. And so I (laughs) wanted sort of to explore something a little bit different. Um, So she's a little bit of a mean girl and has always kind of used that aggressive attitude to stay in control. She's really experienced and kind of worldwide in some ways. And so I think she was a little bit challenging to write because I was always having to let go of all the like nice things I wanted to do. Um, so Thorne was more easy for me to write because he's more of the quiet person who's in the background taking care of things. So I don't know if I have a favorite scene, but it's always just nice to get to spend time with them um, as the novel was progressing.
0: I love, love, love the idea of cozy fantasy romance.
1: First of all, I love it as a descriptor.
0: Second, you are not the first person who has reached out or mentioned it to me. I have an email from someone saying, I really like this kind of book, but I don't know what to call it. And I don't know how to find more of it. And I'm like, well, coincidentally, I'm speaking with somebody who has this great name for it. What do you think are the hallmarks of cozy fantasy, which I call no swords, just tea?
1: Yes, I love that. Um, So I guess traditional fantasy often seems to involve like super high stakes conflict, like the dark elves are taking over the world or the evil kingdom is coming. Um, And that often results in battles and violence and, you know, protagonists who are traumatized throughout the whole book. And so to me, cozy fantasy is kind of the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. So it's lighthearted and fun. There's little to no violence, Um, The characters are not constantly in peril, so you can just enjoy reading. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen to them. Um, And also the protagonist might just be an ordinary person and their conflict is just every day, you know, dealing with jobs and family and friends and then a love interest um, rather than needing to save the world. So I don't want to say low stakes because it's high stakes personally, Mm -hmm. but not on the level of saving the entire world. And I, I do think it's important to have books with violence in them because, you know, that's how our world is. But I just kind of wanted an alternative. And it can be hard when
0: you have something as big and full of different types of books as the fantasy genre. Right. Like, I, okay, so here's what I'm looking for I'm looking for fantasy, no entrails, no trauma, <laughs> no sexual violence. There's room for that. There's absolutely room for that. There's cozy mystery, and then there's super creepy thrillers that I cannot read because again, entrails. It's very interesting to me, especially in romance, to watch readers and writers specifically define how to name the books that they're writing. What draws you to cozy fantasy when you're thinking this is what I want to read?
1: What are you looking for? I mean, the past few years, you know, oh, can't I'm not the first why. person to say this. We've just wanted escape. It started as a focus on violence and then it kind of developed in my head to to be other things the truth is i've been trying to find cozy fantasies for like the past two years and i've i've come up with three i can tell you about please and do if listeners have more i would love more suggestions
0: yes we want all the cozy fantasy racks bring it on
1: so i think the one that to me is like the epitome is called Devin and the dragon by elliot grayson and it's just this really sweet story it's kind of this generic fairy tale kingdom um there's a dragon in the castle. He like doesn't cause any damage. And actually he patronizes all the local village shops just to be nice. Um, the villagers, one of them needs a dragon scale for some, something they want to do. And they're like, oh, we'll send Devon up to seduce the dragon. Cause he can seduce anyone. Cause Devon's just like this guy in the village who just kind of has fun and hangs out. And, and he's like, okay, whatever. So he goes and of course, falls in love with the dragon who is a shifter. But it's just like, I mean, there's conflict and there's stuff happening, but it's you're never feeling like super anxious while reading it. It's just this really sweet love story. Another one is Red Air by Lisa Henry and Sarah Honey. It's like a buddy road trip comedy <laughs> um, where, and it's it's actually it's laugh out loud funny, but there's a prince who has red hair he's been kidnapped and this team of people come to rescue him. And then the protagonist who also has red hair is in the same prison cell. And he's like, I want to be rescued. So he's like, no, I'm the prince. And they don't know which one's the prince, So they take both of them. And there's, there's like one fight scene in it that lasts for one page. And it kind of feels like a, like a three stooges fight scene, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) It's like it's not really about the world building, which is another thing that people often expect with fantasy is that there's going to be all this dramatic world building and entire new languages. And this just isn't, but it's more about like the character growth and the plot being amusing. So that's the second one. And then the third one I'm kind of torn about is How to Love Your Elf by Carolyn Sparks, which I would say it's it's fun and there's not graphic violence in it. There are battles, but they're always kind of shown from a distance. It sounds like part of what you're describing is a lot of internal
0: conflict where a lot of the tension of the book rests on contrary motivations of character. And it's 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 just as hard to write that, I think, as it is to write a really complicated fight scene or a complicated sex scene. Internal conflict that rests on complicated motivations is really challenging to write. Did you find that to be the case when you were writing?
1: Yeah, I always um, have to do book maps um, and I just use an Excel spreadsheet. Um, I took a class on them from Heidi Fiedler, which I highly recommend. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's all different ways you can do them. But for me, just a simple spreadsheet and each row is a chapter of the book and then each column is something I need to track. And it'll change over time. But usually in the beginning, I'm tracking like the protagonist, the first protagonist and what their internal, what, what's going on with them and how they're changing. And then the second protagonist, the relationship between them. Um, and then sometimes things like um, like with the next book I'm working on, there's this history that's been lied about. And so as the protagonist uncovers new truths, I had to keep track of like all the lies she's been told and what she has discovered. And so basically you go through your book chapter by chapter, fill in what happens in each chapter, and then you can look at a column and scroll down it and see how something develops. Oh, wow. It's also very helpful for tracking like the weather and the phases of the moon, because I'm like, I always want the moon to make sense and not have a full moon rising like night after night. <laughs> so. I'll be like, okay, it was a new moon here and now it's two weeks later, so it can be a full moon. So it's it's useful in many different ways.
0: Wow. Oh, that is such a cool method. Yeah. I did not know about this. I and I I love a spreadsheet. My love <laughs> of spreadsheets is 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 its own cozy fantasy. I love spreadsheets yeah. a lot. <laughs> so when you learned this method, did your mind just go
1: explode? The way she taught it she showed you kind of a bunch of different methods and there were like color-coded post-it notes. And so it was kind of a lot to take in and then figuring out how to make it work for me. And I, I did sort of try some other things because, you know, some of them were so artistic and beautiful. And of course I want to do that. And then I was like, no, just keep it simple.
0: <laughs> spreadsheet. Kind of like looking at bullet journal layouts. Oh, that's gorgeous. That is not a thing I can do. Right. Not every day. <laughs> Now, you also mentioned when we were emailing about setting up this interview that one of the things you wanted to address in your writing was misconceptions about sex in romance and how these misconceptions are very important to you. How did you approach this as a writer and as a reader? What, what was the genesis of this particular focus for you? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I think that Addressing misconceptions was really important to me because over time I had absorbed a lot of them, and this just through the years had led to me often having thoughts like, you know, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't my body work right? And so, um, where are the waves? Why am I not cresting?
0: Why have I not (laughs) seen the stars on my eyelids?
1: It never happened. (laughs) Yeah, and so it was it was important to me. um, But basically, a friend at some point gave me this book called I love female orgasm, um, by Dorian Salat and Marshall Miller. And this book was just life-changing to me. It's all full of facts and data. Um, also lots of quotes from, um, people about their experiences. Um, the two authors would run workshops to, to help people out. And so they just gathered all this data and it was, it was just, great reading but after reading it i started noticing more like the the mechanics of the love scenes i was reading and so for example one number that really stuck out to me was the book said only 30% of women will have an orgasm from penis and vagina intercourse alone and yeah. that just kind of shocked me because you know so often in the love scene i mean in a male female romance there's yep. always the that kind of intercourse. And it always leads to an orgasm. So yep. like, that was one example. Another was they said, um, some women have a very sensitive clitoris so much so that she doesn't even want it to be touched directly. Cause it's just like uncomfortable. And that again was like, oh, like, cause there are times like in, in the love scenes, the man's always like, Healing back her folds and yep. I'm just like cringing at that because it seems so uncomfortable to me <laughs> but he always loves it um I also noticed how I started noticing how nothing ever goes wrong in a love scene like his penis never slips out and bonks her in the wrong place <laughs> um so never true like he never does anything that she doesn't like yep. and that that really bugged me because, if you think about it, it's kind of insulting. It's like he's such a great lover, but she's basically the same as every other woman he's been with. Because he knows exactly how to touch her without communicating anything. Yep. So, so I kind of had all these, all these things, you know, that I didn't want to do. Um, as a writer, I think I maybe approached it a little bit tentatively because it felt, it felt really made me nervous, like to try something different. Because what if it doesn't work? And what if the love scene, like you lose the mood and it's just no good. Um, But I I did start just trying to write like sex that seemed more realistic to me. And then in this new book, it's like, okay, I'm going to make something go wrong. And I'm just going to write it and see what happens. And so I picked French kissing um, and just decided that Aviana is not going to like French kissing. And so I wrote a love scene where... Uh, she and thorn are kissing and he sticks his tongue in her mouth and she kind of freezes up and he's perceptive. So he notices yeah, and stops and says, Oh, you don't like that. And she's, you know, embarrassed. I don't want to disappoint you, but he assures her like, it's okay. And what I found was, you know, I had expected to sort of lose the mood, but it felt so intimate to have them talking in this moment. And so to me, it seemed like having that verbal communication actually made it a better scene. Um, so that's something I was glad to discover, and I'm just I'm hoping to do more in the future um with this kind of thing. Um I have been really excited since I've started paying attention to all this. I have noticed it in some other books. So like recently, I read um Rosalind Palmer takes the cake by Alexis Hall. and in the final love scene in that book, it's kind of the same thing. They're kissing and he he touches her boob, and she doesn't respond and it's not even that she doesn't like it but just doesn't respond and he says oh that's not your favorite thing and then they talk about it but it's this amazing conversation because it kind of brings up all the real life things we might worry about like well it's uncomfortable to talk about or you know and he has them talk about all that and say that so I was just super excited to come to that scene and I'm I'm really hoping more authors will start um kind of battling misconceptions and having verbal communication.
0: I love that so much. And I particularly love your point about the idea that it's insulting to treat all women as a sexual monolith, that the same thing that you do is going to work on every single woman. That is is absolutely a a message that you get. And I had not thought of it that way until you said so. My personal favorite is the acrobatic double-jointed man. (laughs) <laughs> who can somehow reach his arm between two people and you know if you are actually engaged in coitus i mean you're you're pretty close together you know, spatially. Right, right. So how is he bending his arm in between them to reach down if they're facing? Like, is and, and then I start thinking, all right, so is his arm double jointed? Is his shoulders really flexible? How do you do that? And is she like, are, I, my reaction would be like, are you scratching an itch? Where, what do you do? Is your stomach itch? Like, what do you, oh, what? No, 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 Like that That particular one always makes me like, oh yeah, right, double jointed elbow guy. I've met you right. before.
1: I'm the same. Like, if it doesn't work in real life, I'm always noticing. One that gets me is how he'll be, like, down there doing something, and then suddenly he's kissing her on the lips, and it's like, did he just fly up her? You know, like, how is he moving so fast?
0: I can't even jump to the top of my yoga mat without kneeing myself in the nose. How did he just, like, hop two feet northward? Well, how did that happen? Yep, yep. I completely agree with you. I also... Love what you said about the idea that talking about how an individual person's body works is a form of intimacy, that when two people are talking about what does it for them, what is arousing for them, that is deeply emotionally intimate and vulnerable conversation, which which works particularly in the village maid because Aviana does not want to be vulnerable. She knows that she is, but she does not want to be. And there are a lot of people conspiring against her to make her more vulnerable without her consent and so for her to be vulnerable and say yeah i don't actually like this is very scary for her but it's also deeply intimate and it when you when you're presenting the presence of vulnerability about an individual person's you know unique physicality and what what does it for them that makes them an individual and not this monolith like you
1: said yes yes yeah. i often think about your i think it was um in your book, The The Mighty Wang of Lovin'. Is yes. that what you called it? Yes. And the Wang is, is of like, Mighty Lovin'. Yep. It has a mind of its own and yep. it doesn't matter who
0: she is. Dick like a divining rod. He can find water in the desert. He can sense of, there there are so many books that I have read over the years where the hero can just sense she's a virgin and I'm like, freaking how? <laughs> like, come on. what what, like it like there's a pheromone like she's got a little signal like what is your dick has a bad signal like whoa i can tell no that's not how and it's also it's insulting to people who have penises too yes to to treat humanity as a sexual monolith is definitely not uh not helpful it's it's actively harmful so i love the idea of undoing that harm by portraying the specifics and especially the ways that it goes wrong because i mean Sex is weird. Sex is really weird sometimes. And I think it's, it, it, you're right, it's important to portray that sometimes, especially when you're dealing with characters who are struggling with vulnerability.
1: Yeah. And it, you know, it goes wrong and you can just laugh it off and oh, it yeah. doesn't have to be a big deal. So,
0: yeah, it doesn't have to be like intense magical double jointed thrusting. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. One thing you also told me about was bread baking. You teach bread baking classes, which I can imagine now in the past two, three years of pandemic land, is something that's a very popular hobby. I mean, I I have inherited a piece of my neighbor's sourdough starter. And wow, it is very beefy. This, 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 this (laughs) sourdough starter has a wang of mighty lovin', let me tell you. (laughs) It rises. And I was calling it Stinky Pete 2.0 because I originally had a sourdough starter that got moldy and that was Stinky Pete. Um, but then I learned that someone, people online give their sourdough starters great names. Did you know this?
1: I did. And I have not, I have not come up with a good one. Um, I heard a good one recently from, um, so there's a whole team of people at NC State University who are doing sourdough research. And I I went to a talk by one of them and her, uh, her name's Erin. Her starter is named David Dowie, no. which like I just thought was amazing. So it's like I have to come up with something that good. So um, but I have not yet. I
0: caused my poor husband to have to sit down from laughing so hard when I learned about Steve Glutenberg.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Isn't that great? So I need to like up my my starter game here. Um, but you teach bread baking classes. This is this is yep. so cool, and you've written a book about bread science. Like this is yep. your this is your your bread nerdery house of wheels, basically. And you teach at something called the Campbell Folk School. I would just love to hear about all of this. Tell me everything.
1: Okay, so the Campbell Folk School it is in Western North Carolina, and it was founded in 1925 um, by. Olive Campbell, um, she named it after her husband who had already passed away. And it is modeled after a Danish model of schooling uh, that is non-competitive. So there's no grades, there's no rankings or tests. Um, But you just go there for a week at a time. And they have so they have dorms you can sleep in. They have about maybe 15 different studios. So blacksmithing, wood turning, basket making cooking, writing, um, paper arts, spinning and weaving, quilting, um, all kinds of stuff. And they have different teachers come in every week. And so you go and you just spend all day working on your craft. They feed you three meals and it's just absolutely wonderful because you can just kind of be there. They they actually, they used to not have Wi-Fi, which I love because I could (laughs) just tell everyone, sorry, I won't have a phone signal. I won't have email. Now they do have Wi-Fi, so I can't really get away with that, but um, <laughs> it's just a wonderful, wonderful place to go. And I feel so lucky that I get to teach there. My background is in chemistry. So my class tends to be a little bit science based. Um, and I usually start, I have all the students make the same basic dough, which is just a French dough with flour, salt, water, and yeast. And we all Everyone makes their own, but we all do it together. And we do the whole process together so that we can stop and talk about each step of the way and talk about what's going on in the dough and also what they can do to kind of improve their results. Yeah. But what they learn will apply to every other bread they make. Right. So after that, they kind of branch out and, you know, some of them will just stick with simple recipes because they really want to practice their kneading and practice the process. Um, other times they bring all these recipes they want to make that are super complicated. And that's fine, too. Part of the pay for us teachers is we get to take a free class. I love this. And that's really wonderful. Um, so sometimes um, I just want a vacation. And I'll so I'll take either drawing or printmaking, which are like my two activities that I've already done some of. And so there's not that like stress of learning something new. Um, and also I have found that doing that kind of artwork is the only time my brain shuts off, like literally you know, meditating doesn't work. But if I just start drawing, I stop thinking um, I can't even listen to my podcasts while drawing because I just completely zone out. So that to me is like the perfect vacation to just sit there and make art all week and get fed three times a day. Um, but I have also wanted to try new things, so I have swelded a scrap metal rooster. As um, you do, I, wow! I do. Um, he's gigantic. I can barely lift him. Like I actually, when it came time to put him in the car and take him palm, I was like, he's not going to fit in the door because <laughs> I have this little, you know, economy rental car. But like with clever angling, we got we got him into the back seat. And then last fall, I made a punch tin lantern. Ooh. Which it was, very, it was very hard to do, but I finished it um, and yeah, I, I gave it to a friend for Christmas and I kind of miss it. And I was thinking, maybe I'll go back and make another one. For yeah. Me. Um, I, I learned, so these are often called Paul Revere lanterns, um, but I learned that they're actually not for illuminating. They are for carrying a flame from one place to another. And so the little punches on them... They actually, the rough side is out, which you wouldn't really expect. And that's because um, that roughness acts like a baffle for wind and rain to keep them away. So the flame stays lit. And my teacher claims that he had one outside in 30 mile per hour winds once and that it stayed lit. Wow! Um, We did a test. We took it outside and we're kind of spinning it around. And it did stay lit until he tried to do like the over his head (laughs) gravity thin, and that did put it out. But anyway, folks School, it's just a lovely place. And if you're going on a vacation to just go and do a craft is so wonderful. Oh, yes.
0: I know what exactly what you mean by getting into that sort of state of flow where your brain just shuts off. It is so meditative and so calming. That space is so precious. I can understand being disappointed that there's Wi-Fi now because that space of being able to just shut off Is so precious. What books are you reading that you would like to tell people about? You've given us quite a wonderful list of cozy fantasy. Are there any other books that you want to uh, tell people about?
1: Yes. So I have two authors who are new to me who I'm really excited about. Um, The first one is Mo Shang Tong Xu. And she had three books translated to English, I think in December they came out. And I just stumbled across them. First one I read is The Scum Villain's Self-Saving System. There's the hero uh, finishes reading this novel and the novel is so bad and he's like cursing it and cursing the author because he hated it so much. And then he dies and wakes up as the villain in the novel. And oh. so he is, and he has been tasked with making the novel better um, by changing what happens in it. And then also, though, he knows that the villain suffers this like painful, horrible death in the novel that he read, and he doesn't want that to happen. So he starts like cozying up to the hero, like trying to make him like him so that he won't kill him. And so it's a very like slow building love story between the two of them. I read this article that said her books. Like they don't follow anything we're told to do as authors, but they just work because they're such good storytelling. Once I kind of got the hang of how it was going, um, I just couldn't put it down. And I I will add, though, that it has a cliffhanger ending. There are are apparently several volumes in each each story. So if you cannot handle a cliffhanger, you might want to wait until they're all out. Um, The second one is The Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation. Oh, I've heard of that
0: one. one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that one's a little more famous, I think. But again, it was just like wonderful story and couldn't put it down. Um, And then the other author is I recently read Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall, um, which I know is all over the place. And. It just was the first book in such a long time that completely hooked me, like from the first page. And, you know, as soon as I finished it, I wanted more. So I read Glitterland and then Rosalind Palmer Takes the Cake. And I've been trying and trying to figure out, like, what is it about these books that just pull me in so much? I think it's because the characters are just having these deep struggles, like to believe in themselves or struggles with mental illness. And there's never just a quick fix. Yeah, it, it's always like they have to work at it to find a solution. And but it's so fulfilling to watch that happen over the course of the story. And then they're also funny. Like they're they're just so funny. So it's like this deep stuff that's happening, but balanced off with how funny they are.
0: Yeah. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you again to Jane Bueller for hanging out with me and. I'm really curious about your reaction to this episode. What have you learned or unlearned from sex scenes in romance? And do you have a sourdough starter? And what is its name? Mine is either Stinky Pete 2.0 or Steve Glutenberg when I want to make Adam laugh. But I'm curious, please let me know. What do you call your sourdough starter? And what have you learned or unlearned from sex? And do you like cozy fantasy? You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 201-371-3272. We're going to do a mailbag episode very soon and I would love to have you as part of it. As always, I end every episode with a terrible joke and I love this joke so much because it fits the episode. I love when that happens. Are you Ready? Why are there Pop Tarts but not Mom Tarts? Give up. Why are there Pop Tarts but not Mom Tarts? The Pastriarchy. <laughs> that joke is from Clarence Worley42 on Reddit, and I love it so much. The Pastriarchy. All right, so go out, bake, read romance, and fight the Pastriarchy. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and thank you, as always, for listening. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.